Hello and welcome to episode 1213 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, September 4th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined this morning by both Justin Mason and our special guest, Ray Murphy. Good morning, gentlemen. What's up, Justin? Uh, just another day in paradise trying to figure out whether I should start Paul Blackburn or Peter Lambert this week or a middle reliever for Baltimore. Like, it's just what it's a that, decision. It's that kind of year. Is it, is it, that's peak September baseball, I would say, right? You know, we don't have the 40-man call-ups anymore, which is good, but there's still some wonky decisions coming down the stretch for a lot of leagues. And Ray Murphy from Baseball HQ, how's it going this morning? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, we're, of course, going to talk about the wonderful First Pitch Arizona convention that is coming up uh, in November. We'll get to that toward the end of the show here, but we're going to talk a little bit of news and notes, actually a couple teams in the AL East dominating our news and notes here, two for the Yankees, two for the Orioles. Then we're going to get into the poll hitter early draft, the poll hitter podcast run by Rob DiPietro. They did a seven round draft with a bunch of folks from the industry names that you would recognize like Baseball HQ's own Ryan Bloomfield, for example, uh, Bubba. You know, t- tons of other folks there. You got 15 teamer, seven rounds, lots of interesting stuff happening. Uh, I think it would be totally different if it was done today and it was just done a few weeks ago. Like, I think that's we're already at that point where you could you could run it right back and there'd be a lot of a lot of differences. But we'll get into that a bit more here later. But let's start with some news and notes. Let's start with the Yankees here. And an interesting waiver guy yesterday in some spots was Michael King who is being stretched out as a potential starter for the Yankees. And you know, Justin, I used to mention on almost every episode something out-of-the-park baseball related. And it probably got annoying how often I talked about, well, I did this in out-of-the-park baseball. One of the things that happened in out-of-the-park baseball was that Michael King converted into a starter, and it went very well. I did this last year, and and he became really good. Now, does that mean because he can do it in the video game, he can do it in real life? No, but the point was deep arsenal for a reliever, really good stuff it's a matter of kind of stretching him out and now after his last two starts 61 and 69 pitches looking pretty nice five innings of one run ball at houston justin i want to start with you is michael king a viable potential starter down the stretch here and and if so what formats i mean i think he has to be especially in deeper formats i mean at this point you are like making decisions on starting guys like peter lambert right like yeah <laughs> so peter lambert has only a, on the road by yeah, the way yeah. if you're gonna start lambert but he's gonna two start on the road this week and so like mm-hmm. man i kind of wish i had michael king uh to to roll with uh this week uh he's got a nice uh little start uh home versus milwaukee this week i think you're just playing matchups in deeper leagues uh i wonder if they would even be considering this if they weren't decimated in the rotation i, I would guess not but probably not yeah but they are, and they're not getting any help anytime soon. So I think King has the potential to stay in the rotation for the rest of the season and potentially be a starter coming into next year and kind of being an under-the-radar guy. And let's take that over to Ray with regards to next year. Do you think that a 29-year-old, which is what he'll be next year, Michael King, if this continues to go well and we're seeing you know 80 to 90 pitch counts by the end of the year, does this roll over into next year, in your opinion, Ray, where King could be a starter for the Yankees? He'll be on the right side of 30, which is a rarity for, for that for that team. Is Michael King potentially changing his career here, or is this a you know short-term need because they don't have anybody type of situation? I mean, I think the Yankees are probably doing this for both reasons, but I think they are certainly evaluating this this September experiment with an eye on next year, right? I pulled mm-hmm. up his um, – I wanted to pull up his uh, 
pitch mix from these last, you know, longer couple of starts and see what, see if he was doing anything different. As you said, he has the arsenal to survive as a starter, Paul, but I wanted to see what he was doing. And he's, he's mm-hmm. gone kind of sinker heavy, it looks like, which I guess makes sense. Uh, you know, he's, he's featuring the sinker and the four seamer and then, you know, mixing in the slider and the change up. So it, it actually looks like a pretty decent, uh, a pretty reasonable starter arsenal in terms of how he's using it. Um, for the short term, I think I would tump, pump the brakes that he looks like he's been pounding the strike zone. He hasn't walked a guy in either of his two starts, and that probably isn't sustainable. Uh, both yeah. in terms of of him do, of him not walking anybody, but also the impact on um, you know pitching deeper into the game in the next couple couple of weeks. Uh, you know, if he if he keeps pounding the strike zone like that, he's probably going to get hit. Uh, but as as far as next year goes, I'm interested. Um, you know, obviously there are all sorts of questions about workload can, can he ha- carry that workload even if he stayed healthy you know how many innings would we, would we be talking about next year so true you know that, those, those kind of things cap his value but uh i guess the other the only other thing i'd throw on the pile is the yankees have not traditionally been a team that's made a lot of use of the opener but that would benefit him too. Uh, oh, I'd rather see. Yes. I'd rather see him pitching innings two through six rather than one through five. And especially now, right? Like as, right? as he's now. doing this down the stretch, give Michael King an opener, and then maybe next year he could be a traditional starter. But yes, that would just be so great. And I always reference this one because it is the gold standard. But that Ryan Yarbrough year when he got sixteen wins, yep. primarily yep. as a follower. By the way, he's kind of regenerated some value out with the Dodgers. Um, for deeper leagues too. But yeah, I, I agree with you there on King. We got to kind of see where this workload goes. Uh, cap it off with with the Milwaukee start this week. Would you start Michael King in 15s uh, there, Ray? I would. What about 12s? You guys getting into 12s there? Is it is it too uh, di- is, is he on the table or is it just not even a consideration for Michael King in 12s? Uh, probably wouldn't be a consideration for me just because of where he's stretched out. I mean, you're probably looking at like 75, 80 pitches. And it's, yeah. Uh, and this Milwaukee outing, which probably isn't enough to get me to pull the trigger there. No, I think that's fair. Uh, Justin, let's stay with New York, um, but move over to, and actually I'm going to add a guy here too, because the other New York team had a young guy and we'll talk about both of them here, but let's start with Jason Dominguez, uh, the Martian. You know, I feel like despite the fact that he's what, 21, 20, he's 20. There was already a level of prospect fatigue on him that his announcement to the majors was kind of underwhelming and I can't believe it. Like, I, I guess I understand the path of, of how some of that fatigue happened because he was anointed as the God of baseball when he, when he was first signed, you know, the Martian, he's going to be the greatest. And he just kind of, he kind of meandered through the minors a little bit. You know, nothing was off the charts. We saw him at fall league last year, certainly didn't uh, overly impress there statistically, but just kind of got the job done. And here he is at age 20 in the majors and making an early impact doesn't mean that he's going to, you know, just be a God. But I feel like Jason Dominguez's stock is is set to rise. Of course, hitting a Sunday homer helped him for bids yesterday. And if he hits down the stretch here, he could be another one of these guys that really rises up the board. Where are you at right now in Jason Dominguez, Justin? Were you in the bidding yesterday, too? I mean, I was technically in the bidding, but <laughs> in that you put a number next to him, like, but it was very low. Yeah, yeah, I put a one next to him. Uh, okay, because that's what I could afford. Um, yeah. Though I will say, in one of my OCs where I'm out of it and I kind of just didn't do any bids for, just because I'm like forty points out of second place and top two get paid, and I was just like, you know what, screw it. I'm 
I'm not even going to worry about that team. He didn't get picked up. Like, I could have gotten him for a dollar. Uh, so, I mean, this is why you always continue to always grind keep fab, them honest. Right? Just because you never know what's going to happen. But, uh, I mean, in a, in a few of my leagues, he went for 100 plus, which is just boggles the mind that people still have that kind of money. But I guess yeah. if you do, now is the time to spend it. Uh, two home runs already. Uh, making really, really good in-zone contact uh, thus far. You know, you wonder how much of that is small sample goodness and how much of it is going to be sustainable. I still kind of stand by my analysis from Friday, which makes me think that maybe the power isn't going to be as prodigious as we've seen so far. But nothing changed your opinion there on the weekend? <laughs> Two homers or not? I, that, that, yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, that is curious that you would think that the power might not be. I understand, you know, this year was like 160s ISO. I don't know, man. He, I think power could certainly, I think the, the fantasy categories are going to be there. I actually kind of maybe see him a little bit in, uh, some, somewhat of an Ellie de la Cruz type of shape, at least statistically. Obviously, they do, they are not built the same in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Jason Dominguez is like 5'8, and, uh, you know, Ellie de la Cruz is like 6'90. And so they're different there, but, you know, power speed guys who might have some strikeout situation. Although I will say Dominguez doesn't strike out to that same degree. No, and I mean, um, you know, will he strike out at like a 28, 29% clip? Maybe, but like, I don't think it's going to be 35 plus or something like that. Like, I don't and it think should be balanced by double digit walks for yeah, Dominguez, exactly. which, which does help. So it's not a one-to-one comp there, but in terms of the power and speed being there right off the bat, I do think that that's going to be something that we should see despite the 160s isos that we saw this year i don't know i, I don't want to overly influenced by two homers in three games that's not going to move the needle for us uh, i was joking about saying that that should have completely changed your outlook that the one yesterday was a mammoth yeah, shot was. but was, you know Rick, nick martini hit some mammoth shots this weekend too and we're not talking him up so sunday like, night baseball yeah. prime time yeah. like you know like i was ready for the bids to go crazy they did go crazy in a couple of my leagues um, imagine that in june though um on a sunday like when everyone has the money like they could only go so high yesterday even with him hitting a sunday night homer but we always talk about the the sunday stats the sunday save is the killer when you're going for somebody um but yeah i look in the main event 63 was the high and that's you know that's just a commentary on how poor the main event leagues are right now with fab he went as low jason doing as did as three bucks wow. and what a lucky person that that folk person is pantalone uh three dollars with a two dollar backup went for Dang 114 that. bucks in my my auction championship Somebody had some real mm -hmm. cash there. That is nuts. But yeah, with Jason Dominguez, obviously there's a lot to like uh, with the upside here. Ray, I'm going to spin it forward again next for next year. It, if we see, like, let's just say just a nice, solid showing here, right? Because if he goes crazy in September, we know that'll raise it. But let's say he ends up and it's like a 115, 120 WRC plus, little pop, little speed, solid helper down the stretch here for Jason Dominguez. What kind of price do you think we might be looking at in those early drafts when we go to first pitch Arizona, because we do a bunch of drafts there. Will Jason Dominguez be a buzzy player if he's just kind of good down the stretch, or does he have to go crazy to really be pushing up into say like single digit rounds or something silly like that? A single digit rounds would get too expensive for me based on, you know, almost no matter what, what he does. In I agree. September. But, you know, I, going back to your original point, Paul, I've got to agree with you. I can't ever remember a prospect who, 
was so has, has been around for so long and yet when he arrives in the majors somehow still feels rushed to me i just <laughs> I, I i just didn't see this coming you know, you know it, it all started buzzing in the last week and i mean he's not lighting double a on fire this is not a vlad guerrero burning down triple a and forcing his call-up situation right so um clearly he's still got things to work on and he's going to do it in the majors but I, I guess the larger point i want to make and i think this kind of influences my take on his price next year is are we sure the yankees are good at developing prospects anymore i mean i think we got to ask some questions based on Absolutely gotta how, ask that. how how you know volpe and the and the last crop of kids has come up and you know they may no longer be on the list of organizations we give the benefit of the doubt that they know how best to handle the prospect and you know you talk about the solid showing for Dominguez and what that does for his draft price. I'm going to, you know, despite the two home runs of three games, I'm going to flip it on his head. What if they screw him up and he, and he spends September, you know, striking out 40% of yeah. the time? What does that do to him? Now, I think that would create a real buying opportunity for Jason Dominguez because uh, I think it would kind of pull the rug out from under the hype train there and then maybe it's somebody that we're we're buying on the cheap unless you're concerned that that would then you know lead to a, a beginning of the season in triple a type of thing you know you mentioned like volpe this year in the end the fantasy value is probably going to be there because of the the homers and steals so uh you know those that got them are going to be able to kind of justify to themselves so i got 2020 yeah but you got 218 average and so i don't know how much net value was there especially if you drafted him at the very end when the price was really skyrocketing for volpe and i do yep. think there is an open question about you know how good to feel about when the yankees call somebody up now because we used to be pretty excited and i think they botched or i don't say they botched all these guys but like I had some excitement for a lot of guys, not just Volpe. I'm, I'm a Peraza fan. I'm an Oswaldo Cabrera fan. I really thought some of these young players could really help them be a competitive team this year, and we just haven't seen it. Now, is that just a confluence of Cabrera, Peraza, Volpe just not quite coming together? You know, a bunch of rookies did come together across a bunch of other teams, or is there an organizational issue like Ray's suggesting? Justin, where do you come out on that? Are you still trusting? Like, where, where do you stand on the Yankees as, as prospect developers? I mean, when was the last time they developed a hitting prospect? Judge. Yeah, I mean. The best player and, in baseball. And, and Judge took a really, really long time, right? Like, we waited yeah. forever for Judge. And this is why he hit free agency, you know, later in his career than most people do. So, uh, I mean. The, the, well, he was drafted. Wait, 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 wait. The, him taking a long time was because he was drafted at 22. Well, but that also, I mean. Well, it took three years to get up. I mean, that's not crazy. It's not crazy, but if a guy with his kind of pedigree, with his kind of talent, you would have thought would, you know, when you drafted 22, you're not expecting him to be up at 25. You're hoping he's going to be up, you know, 23, 24. Um, <clears throat> Here's a 32nd pick, too, though. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think, that, but, but anyway, but you look your past, point, your you overall look, point. You look past sense. Judge, and they haven't developed yeah. guys. Like, uh, and so I, I don't know if we should trust them. They tend to trade away these guys. In yep. order to yep. bring in major league talent, that's how they, uh, that's kind of how they operate. So it's nice to see them as an organization change and go, Hey, we're not going to trade away from these guys. We're going to, you know, try to develop this talent and have these guys for long periods of time. So then we don't have to buy every player on the market or trade for every player on the market. But, uh, so far the results look a little mixed. And I think it's too early to tell. I mean, Volpe, yeah, he's hit 2 8, but, I think, I think the underlying skills are going to be fine. 
uh, in the long run, especially for fantasy. So uh, I'm I'm definitely very interested to watch kind of what they do next or this offseason. Are they going to try to uh, kind of continue to let these young guys play? Or are they going to just do what they've always done, which is bring in overpriced veterans to kind of take away spots? So. Because uh, I'm really interested in Everson Pereira and Volpe yeah, next I like year. Him too. And Jason. I still like Oswaldo yeah. and Oswald. Mm-hmm. I still like both those guys, Cabrera and, and Peraza, uh, respectively. So I, I'm with you there. Let's shift to the other New York team real quick. Talk about Ronnie Mauricio Ray. Um, you know, he's a big time prospect as well. Another switch hitting guy. Has a lot of swing and miss, though. He might actually be a better comparison for somebody like Ellie De La Cruz, at least in terms of the bat profile. I'm not sure. Uh, or at least in terms of the plate skills, I should say. The, the the lack of walks and the big swing and miss. But the power and speed could be there, too. He put up 23 homers, 24 steals at AAA. Didn't, didn't strike out as much there uh, with an 18% K rate, but an 11% swinging strike rate and double-digit swinging strike rates all the way up does suggest that there's going to be some strikeouts at the major league level for Ronnie Mauricio. Ray, was he somebody you were in on the bids yesterday? And what is your expectation for him down the stretch here with the Mets? I was in on him yesterday, um, you know, for the short term, I'll chase opportunity. And, you know, the, that 23 home run, 24 stolen base uh, one in the minors this year, as you say, combined with, you know, starting to limit the strikeouts was enough to think that the, uh, you know, a, a, a long cup of coffee with the Mets here, long being what three plus weeks at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, could 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 move the needle in a couple of leagues. So I was in on him. Um, I you know, despite the in addition to the swing and miss, though, looking at our um, scouting report at HQ that we posted up upon this call up, the other thing that I think is a yellow to orange flag for the long for, for the you know twenty twenty four and beyond is. It's also got a high ground ball rate. His barrel rate is way is way down, mostly because when he hits the ball hard, he hits it on the ground. You know, yep. shades of a shades of a young Vlad Guerrero, not in the good way, right? <laughs> um, so you know that, that's something you know, and that's probably just a you know mechanism, you know, just a reflection of the adjustments he's making. It's you know he's probably more been focused on cutting down that strikeout rate, which has been successful, but you know he has not yet turned that into barrels. Instead, he's grounding out the short instead of striking out, which, you know, better, sure, but, you know, not yet where we want him to be. Um, that, you know, that's another, a good call on Mauricio. A, another New York team that um, it'll be fascinating to see what, what they do in terms of sticking with their prospects next year, too. So, uh, absolutely. Know, he, he's going to be playing, Mauricio's going to be playing somewhere very soon, I'm sure, but uh, it remains to be seen whether it's uh, second base in Flushing. Yeah, they're another team. Obviously, both New York teams got a lot of eyes on them. They always do. But this offseason, after the years that they've had, uh, obviously nothing that they can do in September will uh, change the fate. Neither are headed to the playoffs. Justin, with Ronnie Mo, let's spin it forward. Is he somebody that, that you like long term? You know, again, power speed, switch hitter. Should have some PT if if they don't block him with a bunch more veterans that like they like they brought in this past year. Do you think Ronnie Mauricio is somebody that could be a game changer next year? I mean, I, I think that is in the realm of possibilities. I think he's also a guy who could spend the majority of the year in the minor leagues. So it's kind of it's a very wide range of outcomes, and I think for me it depends on what his price is like if he goes ham over the last month and people are like hey he's 
you know, a top 150 player next year, then I'm going to be out on that price. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I think the profile is too volatile for me to take that kind of gamble. But if he's more in the, you know, twenties in terms of rounds in a 15 team league, I'm going to be much more interested Mm -hmm. in taking that gamble because he's really easy to drop if he doesn't, uh, doesn't succeed. and, And the upside is huge. So, um, I think there are a lot of questions like Ray mentioned with the Mets organization. What are they going to do? Are they going to stick to this? Hey, we're going to kind of, you know, rebuild for 2025 or 2026. Um, and therefore we're going to let the guys like Mauricio and Batty uh, play. Uh, or are they going to be like impatient? We've seen a lot of other very rich owners be and go, Hey, you know what? We're, we're going to, we're going to go all in again because I've got the money to do so. Um, and block these guys off because Beatty should have been playing all year and, you know, and been given a chance. He's dominated AAA multiple times now, and they have not been willing to kind of just let him play at the major league level. So um, that's been frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I drafted Beatty uh, in my three sport league. So I'm, I'm taking a gamble that he's going to be kind of the everyday third baseman, but Mauricio, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I do worry a little bit about the swing and miss. I think uh, the point Brett or sorry, uh, Bray brought up um, is uh, uh, that Mauricio's had a pretty large ground ball rates, which may be difficult to get uh, power uh, in uh, in City Field is uh, is a little bit discouraging because I don't know how legitimate the speed really is at the major league level too. So uh, I think that I'm probably not going to have a lot of Mauricio next year for maybe in a you know, couple draft champions leagues if he's really, really late. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of unsure exactly how to feel about Ronnie Moe going forward as well. Interesting guy, but with the plate skills, uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous about what his future outlook is going to look like. Let's jump back to the AL East, talk some Baltimore here. John Means to return after one more rehab start. What do we think here, Justin, with John Means? Um, can he be a con- fantasy contributor down the stretch? I mean, maybe it's a really, really good park to pitch in. Kind of depends on, you know, what his, uh, you know, what his pitch counts look like um, in uh, in the minors. I mean, he threw five innings in his, la- his most recent uh, rehab start. So uh, it looks like the rains are going to come off a little bit. I don't like taking these guys, though coming off of Tommy John, especially in this, this now my of, season's on the line. Yeah. I just, it just feels super, super risky to me. Uh, so I probably won't, but I, I want, you know, I was just talking about like having to decide between a middle reliever and Peter <laughs> Lambert. So like, I can't like, you know, completely like, you know, brush off the, <laughs> the chance that the, yeah, the idea that you would, in him, yeah. Uh, because, I am scraping the bottom of the barrel, and I know a lot of people are in deeper leagues. So in deeper leagues, I guess you could take the gamble depending on the matchup and if he's pitching at home or not. But I think in most leagues, you should be leaving him on the waiver wire and kind of just watching and seeing how he looks uh, potentially as a guy to pick up on next year. That, that's where I'm at with John Means. And looking at their schedule down the stretch, they're not a ton not a ton going on um, with the schedule that looks all that soft. You got a St. Louis home start or a home series there. And again, I always worry about them, even though, um, you know, even though they've had a bad year, the offense can get you Tampa Bay, Houston, Cleveland's not very, very good. Um, 
there's a little four game set there and then Washington, but then they close with Boston. So I'm not even sure there's going to be spots to start means. Ray, are you similar to Justin and I, where you're not really looking at means this year, but assessing him for next year, or is he somebody that you're trying to snake and uh, maybe get some starts out of down the stretch? I, I mean, in 15s, I think I'd probably be interested in getting the starts from him uh, down the stretch. Uh, it, you know, Justin's first comment was about the ballpark, and it's hard to believe it's you know almost two years ago now when Means was like the original poster child so <laughs> for who was going to benefit from the fences getting pushed back, right? And that that impact has been, been even bigger than we expected at Camden, and it's finally time for Means to benefit from it. Um, but, you know... Paul, I'll take it back to your guy uh, in Detroit. Like, can't Means come up for four starts and do what Tariq Skubal did and hit the ground running? Sure. Uh, seems Absolutely. like a reasonable That's a good count point. to me. And it looks like, you know, he means to – I can't find the pitch counts either, but Justin mentioned that Means has gone five innings in his last start or two in the minors. That's a little more stretched out than Skubal was. Skubal's first couple of starts were like 60 pitches. 86 for means on his last one here in a if, one. Yeah, so if he, yeah. Wow, that's great. If, you, if he's ready to go 90, uh, three, four times, I'm in for that. I guess the only thing I wonder about, though, is what are the Orioles' plans for him for yeah. October? Like, he could, you know, I, I could envision on that team that he would be a, you know, best used in the playoffs as like a three inning once through the order. That's exactly what I think reliever, he should be. Which, yep. you know, if they're going to do that and they're going to start training him for that role in the in October, now I'm, now I'm out for, for yeah. this year. Because I don't really want, you know, I mean, I guess there's a world with three innings in the middle of some Baltimore games could be useful if you're like wins chasing. But yeah, I'm with you there. If they're not going to use them as a traditional starter, they have six guys right now even, and that's still without Tyler Wells, who <laughs> looks like, I mean, talk about just evaporating after a pretty yeah, darn what, good year. <laughs> he sent him to triple A or double A even, which I think was a proximity thing more than like a, a punishment mm -hmm. or anything. Um, but not coming back and not up for September. I don't know what the heck happened to Tower Wells. He was such a useful player this year. 380 ERA is a little bit high because of his homers, but a 102 whip, one of the best in the league, 24% K rate. So yeah, I don't know what's going he, on there, but even with Wells. He's injured. Oh, he's injured now. Okay, so, he, so he, he's been out since the end of, or it's kind of the end of August with arm fatigue. So I think I think there's something, yeah, there's some arm issue going on right there for him. It it kind of made like the homers were starting to creep up, kind of like the Bailey Ober thing. In fact, I see those two very very similarly, mm. and they both got murked uh, down the stretch there. But with means, I love what you're talking about for them. Uh, in the playoffs there. It's not fantasy related, but I think he'd be super valuable as a three inning guy, especially if they give like Kyle Gibson a start, you know, get the righty in, then bring the lefty in, maybe three innings a piece, then turn it over to the bullpen. Could be super useful, but with means stretched out, I will, I, I will go a little bit closer to maybe using him than I was, but when I first started, I didn't realize he had 86 pitches. That is super stretched out, ready to go. And if they do start him traditionally, there's a world where I could get there. Again, if we're considering Peter Lambert's of the world, we got to consider some John Means's of the world. Staying with Baltimore, Felix Bautista has elbow swelling and still needs some testing. Uh, easy cut uh, a long time ago. I, I don't think anybody should still have been holding him unless you have IL spots or whatever. I'm talking more NFBC on that one. But next year, Ray, I mean, I guess... You know, it's an in, it's a to be decided question. That's so it's a little unfair to p pin this on you. But as it stands right now, are you drafting Felix Bautista? Let's say I, I put you in a draft right now. 
would you take the discount on, on Bautista? I don't know what that discount is, but there's certainly going to be one because otherwise he'd be going in like the second or third round, which he did in the draft we're about to talk about. Let's say he's going seventh, eighth round in a 15-teamer for Bautista based on this uh, injury. Would that be enough of a discount for you, Ray? Oh, heck no. I I will be out from, I, I think basically nothing can happen in terms of good news for Batista that would move the needle for me until we get to next, next March. And I, you know, on the first day of spring training, we see he's on a normal throwing program. And even then I'm probably going to be worried, but yeah. you know, any, any draft champions this winter or anything like that, uh, you know, any discount that, you know, even beyond the single digit rounds, I'm out. This, this just screams to me that, you know, it's Tommy John and the only question is when. It's it's pretty scary. Um, and I love Felix Bautista. So excited about him ascending to the top of the RP rankings. And yet here we are in a pretty bad state. Justin, do you see it similarly to Ray where uh, Bautista is just, you know, it's a matter of it, when, not if, with regards to TJ and thus you're not going for him? Yeah, it feels like that. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting that they're, saying, oh, we still have more tests to do, that they're still swelling. Uh, this feels like they're just trying to maybe put off the inevitable just in case he could potentially pitch through into the playoffs, but feels super, super unlikely. Yeah, I mean, this is the – you always look at the the calendar with Tommy John, and there's no reason for them to rush, rush the decision because there's no way he's pitching next year anyway if he has it. Mm-hmm. So yep. taking, a month, taking a month now to do it, does not impact his 2025 return, so exactly. they can they can soft pedal this. I, to, yeah. to turn your question to turn your question around, though, Paul, give me all the any or Cano at any discount I can take. Absolutely, because I I really really believe in what Cano's doing, and I actually think there's some more swing and miss in his game there. We haven't seen major major strikeouts from him. We've seen some great command and, and some uh, ability to really uh, succeed here. He's amazing turnaround. He was who they got for Jorge Lopez, who, by the way, is now full circle back with Baltimore. He was waived by for Miami. They scooped him back up. So not only do they get Yanir Cano, as well as Cade Povich, and I think two other players from that deal. Now they have Lopez back in tow, too. So the, the Orioles just winning that deal over and over and over again. But yeah, I like Cano. I do believe in him. Yeah, he's a 29-year-old breakout. In relief, that doesn't really bother me as much, like a late career breakout, because things can change on a dime for relievers all the time. So I'm not I'm not too worried about him kind of being out of nowhere, Yanir Cano. All right, let's get into the draft, the pull hitter podcast first off the pull hitter podcast and patreon rob DiPietro. you got to be checking that out they, they he does an amazing job brings on great guests wonderful conversations on the podcast the discord is a lot of fun i know justin we're both in there uh the patreon has all sorts of great information pull hitter podcast rob DiPietro, check that out he ran a 15 team seven round draft a couple weeks ago now this this already has a little age to it, and i don't say that to uh to roast them more to bring up they really went in, you know, you're talking about a mid August, uh, seven round draft here. I used to, I used to do like early ones, uh, like the day the season ended and I'm like, Oh, that's early. Now they're doing it with six weeks left in the season. And it creates some really interesting stuff here. And these sorts of drafts, even though this is not going to be like on the site, it's only seven rounds. There can be a bit of an anchoring effect here. Right. And that's, we mm-hmm. see that a lot with the early drafts. I think the Arizona following drafts can have some anchoring effect on some ADPs because actually those can go into the uh, overall ADP of, of NFBC with the draft champions. So let's talk about this draft. Let's start at the top here. First round, couple pitchers going, Justin Strider and Cole, 
three and 12 respectively. I don't think that the two guys are are wrong. I think those are the right guys, uh, Strider and Cole are my one, two as well. Do you like those picks there at, at three? I think that's probably Jenny Butler, if I had mm-hmm. to guess. It is, yeah. And then I, I think Stephen Major, Mager. Michael, uh, Michael Mager. Michael, 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 excuse me. Yes, yes. Um, you like those two? Strider and Cole as the two first-round guys? Do you have anybody else there as a, as a first-round starter? I think those are the two right guys. Um, I, I would potentially even maybe put Luis Castillo kind of in the back end of that first round, but... I think one of the things I can't remember if you and I were talking about it on air off air is, you know, I think a lot of it just depends on where you think that first real drop off in talent yeah. is like, is it in the middle of the second round? It is, is it at the beginning of the second round? Um, because I think you're going to get two elite players if you're at the back end of the draft. Uh, and if you want to add in pitcher, more pitchers to that, um, you can kind of start pushing back where you can get those elite players. So I don't have a problem at all with Strider going third, with Cole going third um, either, even though Cole went 12th in this draft. So um, it's just interesting to me last year when we were at first pitch Arizona um, and you and I were in that draft at hold, which I'm winning by the way, um, I started, uh, I started that draft off at the 15 spot and took Burns and Cole. Um, and so the only reason we had a first round pitcher in that draft is because I pulled the trigger at 15. So to see Strider already at criminal three, that he took the 15 spot from me, by the way, criminal. No, that's, I mean, that is the strategy. I appreciate that, the new guys at first pitch Arizona, not realizing the strategy is you want the later pick. So that way, because the, the first pitch for Arizona drafts, we do the first 23 rounds and then we take a pause and we don't finish the last, you know, I should have put a patent on that. Yeah. We don't finish those last 27 my rounds gambit for January. Years. So uh, getting that last pick means I get the first pick in January. So when so much dust has settled, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a big advantage. So pretty uh, sure they got took, Estevez, uh, you took actually was in, it's probably someone bad, isn't it? You blew it this year. <laughs> you took Will Myers, which I would have done too. So yeah. I can't even roast you. I took Carlos Estevez mm. uh, four picks later. But yeah. And then you took Spencer Steer in the 25th. So, I mean, if you just flip those, yeah. you're good. But anyway, uh, continue. Sorry. Uh, so I'm just, it's interesting to me to see. Usually we don't see a ton of pitching early on in these uh, er, really early drafting homes. Um, and then the pitchers start to creep up as yeah. we, you know we get you know start getting through spring training. But those are the two. Yeah. So those I, are the guys. I, I think it makes sense with Strider and Cole being the top two guys. I think they need to be. I think they are a cut above. I do think if you miss there though, I don't know that you have to rush because I do love Castillo. Uh, he might be my. He's my number three. He's my number three ranked right now. He'll be my number three going into next year, barring anything crazy down the stretch. He was my AL Cy Young pick. There's a good chance of that coming through. Really love him. Gosman goes in the next round. But then you're talking Burns, Wheeler, Gallon in the third. I'm fine, quote unquote, getting stuck with one of those guys. You know, I got, I'm even fine looking at uh, the other two Milwaukee guys, Peralta and Woodruff there in the fourth with Tyler Glass now. He's always a risk with that health. Um, you know, Sandy Alcantara, Yuri Perez, interestingly, in the fourth there to Bubba. He went old and young there. He went Yuri Perez, Max Scherzer, back to back combo. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the starting pitchers play out. We know as it gets closer and gets into March with the main event, more will push up. 
but I do wonder if anybody else is going to get into that first round. I think that's really the interesting part there. Ray, where are you on first round starters? Strider and Cole, the guys, anybody else uh, creeping there for you? Or, or do you even take either of those two out of your first round right now? Oh, no, I've got those two in the first round. They stay there in my book. If anything, I think Cole went too late here. I think Cole belongs mm-hmm. in the first half of the first round, at least. To me, he's still, you know, Strider's unbelievable, but Cole's, you know, track record of consistency is just unmatched at this point. Um, yeah. As far as the next tier, yeah, it's really interesting how many, you know, just getting through it in rounds three, four, five, there's a lot of guys with, you know, question marks of different, varieties whether it be the health issues either this year or you know ongoing guys like Woodruff and Glass now or you know uh Justin mentioned the kids like you know Yuri Perez mixed in here and Scherzer and Verlander are still hanging around Grayson Rodriguez is in this tier too then there's the aggravating the aggravating Aaron Noah down in round five really jumps out at me too I, I think that's probably the right place, but he's one that I wonder if we get a better explanation or better analysis in the offseason of what went wrong this year, if that bounces a little bit. You know, Max Fried is down there too, and if he ends the season strong and healthy, that looks a little undervalued going, you know, he, he had been so consistent before this year. There are a lot of landing spots for pitchers in especially round four to seven here, which I think to your point, Paul, gives you a lot of flexibility in how you do your build. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can go a lot of different ways with things. I do want to talk, you know, I mentioned how just in the course of since this draft was posted on August 23rd, things would be a lot different if you ran it back. And I don't think there'd be anybody more different than this guy. Trey Turner um, was at 16. So at the turn to our our, our good friend, Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ, took him there with Judge. What a killer one-two punch, by the way. Not getting that uh, very often there at 15-16. Because Trey, I mean, he's fully back. Six homers and 16 ribbies just since then. Just in nine games since this draft. Justin, where would Trey Turner go now in a rerun of this? Probably in the middle of the first round. Yeah, single uh, digits for sure. I think, and this is going to be, you know, a common thing I think that we say is, like, I don't want an early pick next year. Like, I think, you know, like, I want mm-hmm. to be somewhere between, like, 8 and 15 um, because you're going to get a Trey Turner or a Jose Ramirez or a Corbin Carroll or, like, or a Garrett Cole. Like, you're going to get, like, a really elite talent and then have an earlier second round pick. So, uh yeah, I mean, if if I'm sitting there at eight and Trey Turner is still on the board, I'm probably going to smash that uh, that draft button pretty pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, I just think it's going to be a great year to sit in the middle, and I don't have any concerns with Turner. Like I said, he's been amazing over the last few weeks to kind of recoup some of that value you took, uh, you 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 missed out on taking him in the top three overall picks this year, but. I think he's going to be fine for next year. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see him go in the top five of some drafts because some people are just going to be like, hey, he has been a top five player pretty much every season for years now. Uh, why wouldn't we think he's going to get right back to that with a with a strong finish to 2023? I was hoping to get the <laughs> discount on Trey. I, I'm like, I was fine should, with this mediocre year. in August. I know, I know. First year on a new deal. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry, less about Trey and more about the caliber of player. Let me run by you guys my sort of early theory about the the macro draft board for this year. All right. Um, 
Turner has been a top five pick, you know, and you know, we know the other guys who have been up there because we've been so fixated on speed coming into the coming into the drafts the last few years. We don't have to be fixated on speed anymore. Is so, you know, Turner maybe should be a little bit devalued because of that, because you can find stolen bases anywhere. Now his broad, you know, he's maybe not the best talking point for it because his broad skills, you know, and you know, five category talent still belong up there early in the first round. But you know, I'm looking at three picks later in this draft from Turner for, to Corey Seager and somebody who, you know, I think because of that lack of speed has been devalued in the market for the last few Keep years. Keep them devalued. It, Keep them. Uh, yeah. And, but like, I would slam Corey Seager in the second round now because used to be if you did that, now you're terrified of where you're going to find your stolen bases, especially with one less middle infield spot to put them in. Now I don't care anymore. I can find stolen bases anywhere. Give me all the Corey Seager. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I couldn't get enough of him this year. Obviously, that that's panned out. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I know Justin has his concerns with Seager. And they're hey, health-related. He, I, I get he's it. He's carrying me in my auction championship this year. So, like, Because uh, he's amazing. Well, and because I got him at a good price. Because a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, like, like Ray was saying, just devalued him because he doesn't steal at all. And I was like, well, you know, I'll take him if he's, you know, five, six dollars under what I think his price should be. And he, he's been fantastic. I do worry about the health I'm, and I'm always going to worry about the health because, uh, you know, the health concerns on him have been there since kind of the beginning of his career. Uh, he got hurt this year, too. Let's mm -hmm. just be fair. He missed. He um, definitely but, missed time, but he's been amazing when he's been in there. Um, and so, I mean, second round. I think that might be a little bit scary for me to pull the trigger on a guy who I'm not 100% sold that, you know, can stay healthy. But, I, I mean, he's worth that pick. If if you are not as um, petrified about the health um, as I always seem to be with, with Corey Seager, then I think second I round mean, who, is right. Who are you taking in that second round that has any sort of stability, though? Um, I think maybe Alonzo. Alonzo. Everyone yeah. else in there has has some major concerns. Uh, health-wise recently, or just skill-wise. Like, Ellie was in the second, so we're seeing what's happening with him as he comes back to earth. Bichette, Seager, uh, Matty o. Basically, the first baseman, Matty o or Alonzo, uh, are probably your more stable guys there. Harper, obviously kind of got his power going. Austin Riley went in the third. You could bump him in the second. I don't have an issue with that. Um, so, yeah. I, I But with Seager, I get it, you know, because, again, he missed time this year, but it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, that he's just kind of steamrolled through that. And we knew the average was going to come up. I know he was a big target for the shift thing. It's like, as Jeff pointed out, Jeff Zimmerman didn't even need the shift thing. Did not even, that was all, he was nope. always going to be a big batting average raiser this year, regardless of what changes they were going to make when he hit like 245 last year. Corey Seager is an absolute stud. Ray, let's start with you on this one. Ozzy Albies and Jordan Alvarez in the first round at 14 and 13, respectively. I said that in the wrong order. Sorry. Alvarez 13, Albies 14. Do they belong in the first round, Ray? I don't have a problem with Alvarez at all. Uh, I might have a little of a pro problem with Al Albies, and you hit some of the names earlier um, from the second round. To me, Olsen and Alonzo kind of fit into the same thing I was talking about about the uh, earlier about how much easier it is to get speed and how that moves the values around. Give me the completely stable 40 home runs from Alonzo and Olsen late in the first round in that spot. And I'll worry about speed on a couple of future turns. But to me, 
I would rather have Alonzo or Olsen as my building block than uh, than Albies there. But I'll, you know, Jordan, you know, given where he was at the start of the year and the injury, and I don't think we're concerned about that going forward. Uh, I'll I'll throw him in that bucket too. But you know, the the forty one one ten guy is a perfectly reasonable first rounder in this new stolen base uh, plus stolen base. Uh, cornucopia environment here yeah i i love your point there with it was going back to the trade situation about like now that we don't need to be as speed focused and kind of held hostage by some of those guys that run we don't necessarily have to you know overvalue that now one of the things though when when you see sbs go up you do need more to compete for sure so you don't want to you don't want to forget them but there are more avenues to get them later in the draft. So I don't, I still don't think you need them in the first round. Remember there was all that chatter about like, if you're not getting speed in the first round, your first round pick sucks or something. It wasn't that uh, simple, but it was, it was this thing of like, some of these guys can't go in the first because they don't run. And it's like, no, there's other rounds to get speed. Uh, but I do think, you know, you don't want to go too many rounds without some some real speed there. Uh, but Albies only 11, right? He has not been a major runner, but 28 homers, 90 ribs, 76 runs and a 260 average. We're very pro Albies on this on this show. Uh, Justin, do Alvarez and Albies belong in the first round? I'm going to take the opposite take of Ray. I think Albies belongs in that discussion of a first rounder. And I don't think Jordan really does. Um, and it has everything to do with his health. Like, he, we're talking about a guy who has only played 90 games this season, um, you know, and that's, you know, 40 to 45 below other elite talents at this point. Um, and he's never hit 40 home runs because he can't stay on the field. And there's always seemingly something going on with uh, Jordan Alvarez. So, <sighs> You add in the fact that he, again, doesn't run. Well, I don't think you need to prioritize speed in the first round. I want to get speed in the first round. I want to get some speed uh, just because I don't want to be beholden to some sort of rabbit later on that can get hurt or lose playing time. And then all of a sudden I'm devoid of speed. So uh, for that reason, uh, once again, this year, I'm gonna, probably going to be out or once again next year, because this year I was already out on, on Jordan Alvarez. I'm probably going to be out again. I, I know the talent's elite, and I, you know, we could see a judge season, you know, where he, you know, he, he pops off for 55, 60 home runs at some point. Sure. If he stays healthy, but I'm not going to bet on the health until we see it, uh, and we just not, haven't seen not it. Not in the first, no, right? Well, like, go ahead, Ray. Let's let's argue about this. Everything you just said about Alvarez applies to Judge too. Why is Judge still in the first round? Then? I don't think Judge uh, should I, go in the first round. I'm not particularly keen on taking Judge in the first either. Yeah, for for yeah. for the okay. same sort of considerations there. Yeah. and I'm usually the guy arguing to take uh, injury risk guys if everything's in place. Like if they're elite talents, first round's a little tougher for that. Mm -hmm. I can make those arguments more in the third to, to seventh round area where you're taking guys maybe a, a round or two higher than they should be. You know, give me that third round guy like um, like Seager this year in the third, fourth, when maybe his his consistent health issues maybe said he was a fifth, sixth, seventh. I, I don't know that I can push a guy up into the first like Alvarez or Judge and feel that comfortable when there's so many other options too. Like I, I, I would rather take Turner coming off of his issues there. I would maybe rather go with a pitcher, I might just go with one of the boring, steady first basemen like Olsen or Alonzo too. Yeah, I don't get the speed, but I take one of those. They can get me the 50 homers that we're talking about with Alvarez and Judge, maybe with a lower batting average, almost certainly. 
but less of a health concern too. Give me, give me 150 so, games. Like that's the, I, yeah, I want a yeah. hundred, I want a I want 150 games out of my first round. Hitter. As best as you can guarantee that, right? Mm -hmm. It's always hard and anybody can get hurt, but there is no better indicator of future health issues than previous ones. And Alvarez and Judge have those in uh, in abundance. Uh, I already talked, oh, sorry. You know what? I should have read ahead there, Justin. I'm sorry. I added the Trey Turner thing because I didn't see Trey Turner on the board. And there you have him right there with Bloomfield taken judge and turner so i should have just trusted you i'm sorry about that uh but we already talked trey so let's move on to the next topic here ellie dale cruz in the second round i've already alluded to him a little bit we talked about him with regards to jason dominguez and some ronnie mo earlier second round justin again we're talking uh this draft was posted on july 23rd or excuse me august 23rd let me get you his numbers since then because i want to know what sort of changes would happen to his draft stock now because it's only been nine games but i bet they've been pretty rough since then and hang on 156 208 222 with 22 strikeouts in 11 games that's 22 strikeouts in 49 plate appearances for ellie de la cruz he's down to a 723 ops uh sub 300 obp still 11 homers and 24 steals i'm not here to say that he's bad but remember a couple weeks ago we did an episode is ellie going to go in the first round um no should he even go in the second justin uh should he probably not will he definitely he definitely will be a second round pick i i you I, think so yeah i think so like I think adp by, some, by adp yeah it'll, it'll be there they're okay. gonna be there's gonna be someone in every league um that pushes him up into the second round and then you know he will have plenty of drafts where he's a first rounder um people are just gonna chase that upside which i completely understand am i going to probably not um i can see the argument for it but a 35 plus percent strikeout rate is just frightening to me. Um, and while he is electric and a fun guy to watch, it just, uh, I, I don't want that kind of volatility on, on my roster, uh, especially not in, in the first round. If he was a, a fourth rounder or even a third rounder, I'd be probably jumping for joy, but a first or a second rounder, I just think is going to be too rich. And I do think he's going to end up even with struggles, and even if there isn't like a, a huge turnaround for the last month of the season, I still think people are going to want to push him up there. Twenty-four stolen bases already is insane. Yeah, no, I mean that 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 part is crazy with Ali De La Cruz. There is so much fantasy goodness, but you are taking a major, major, major batting average risk. Ray, if you take Ali De La Cruz, do you have to kind of pattern the rest of your draft? Let's say you take him in the second. Do you have to be batting average focused? with you know the next three four pieces of your foundation to cover him or are you just kind of letting the chips fall where they go and and hope you spike like a 250 260 out of ellie i think you do have to be pretty batting average focused and i think in general you know extending off of the earlier point about speed being more available and power you know obviously is always available i think being laser focused on batting average in your build is going to be kind of a secret sauce this year um as far as ellie himself um, I said this to Patrick David a couple of weeks ago on HQ Radio, even before I saw this board. But my favorite pick in this draft is CJ Abrams in the middle of round five. Give me CJ Abrams before you speak in Justin's day. language. You're speaking Justin's language. That's one of his big dudes. And now here he is in the fifth round of this, which that on its That's own. A gift. Yeah, but that on his own, bit of a surprise because 
of how much he's surged up this year. And I think it's being a little bit undercovered because he's on Washington. You know, I think yeah. people maybe aren't realizing if you don't have CJ Abrams on your team or maybe your opponent that you're chasing the most doesn't have him, so that you're laser focused, you might have missed that CJ Abrams has 15 homers and 38 steals with a 245 average. He's basically doing what Ellie's doing. Now, granted, bigger sample to get to those similar numbers, but the slash line's pretty similar. So why would I pay the Ellie price when Abrams is there? I think that's Ray's point, and that makes a lot of sense to me, Justin. I know you agree, but do you want to talk about <laughs> Abrams a bit? In the fifth round there, does he continue to surge? Does, is he going to go higher here? If another three weeks, let's just say let's just say another three weeks of quality, not tearing the world up. Let's just say he basically kind of keeps this pace going, finishes the season strong. Is CJ Abrams higher than a fifth rounder, or does he kind of live around that range as a somewhat bargain, at least according to Ray, myself, and you? Yeah, I don't want to call him a bargain quite yet. I, I definitely, I've got to do my projections and run the numbers, and hopefully, I'll have that done by first pitch, uh, so that way uh, I can, you know, if I do decide to jump back in the draft to defend my title, um, when you when you are in the draft, knock on wood that Lucas Bieri doesn't doesn't catch me because he was dominating most of the year before I passed him. Uh, I, I I do wonder like if he's gonna he's gonna be one of these guys that are overdrafted, um, you know, like the. The core underlying skills are still a little bit scary because he doesn't walk at all, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, so he swings a ton, and so you do wonder about volatility in the profile. Can Abrams even drink legally yet, though? I don't know. I, I, I'm barely kidding on that. He's 22. Yeah, yeah. But my point there is, like, could there be some growth? Like, I don't think he's going to ever become a 10% walk rate guy or no. anything like that, right? But I wonder I if there might to. even be... Like his aggressive yeah. approach is yep. what is what has allowed him to get these home runs that we didn't necessarily think were in the profile. So like if he became more patient, he's probably hitting, you know, closer to, you know, single digit home runs as a, a you know, with the speed as opposed to the, the double digit home runs. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you necessarily want him to change the approach too much, but I think it will lead to volatility. Um, especially as pitchers start to kind of read the scouting report a little bit on him and attack him maybe a little bit differently. So, uh, that being said, like, fifth round feels like a pretty good spot for a guy like Abrams who could potentially be like a 1550 guy next season. Um, And, uh, and you got to think that Washington can't get much worse. That means they should be able to get better around him. For their sake, I hope not. Yeah. (laughs) With a more team context for sure. I mean, don't forget that Abrams was the bottom of the lineup the first half of the year. Exactly. That's helping him there. And, you know, there is growth there. And I think the kind of growth that we want, I think you're right, Justin, he's never going to be a 10% walk guy, but he has gone from 3% to 5% in the second that, half, which that's is not, not nothing. And, and, I, and I would take like seven. Yeah. And like seven percent contact nice. has gone from 75 yep. to 83%. If that's he's a big. flap hitter, put the ball, you know, not strike out, you know, use the leg, beat out the ground balls. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a Jose Reyes starter kit, right? That, that's a that's a great throwback name there in terms of what CJ Abrams can be because he does give you a little bit of that sneaky pop. He isn't just pure rabbit. Yeah. And I do think there's a world where the Babip's going to cooperate, um, and that can be very soon. And all of a sudden he's hitting 285, you know, uh, on a high end there for for CJ Abrams because I mean, you're talking 281 Babip this year, 291 last year. As he yeah. fills out a little bit more, he's very wiry, puts a little bit more punch on the ball on those grounders. Those are getting through the infield more batting average base hits going up 
stolen bases going up. He's the 74th player overall this year um, on the player Raider, on the Rasball player Raider, went 68th in this draft. So not too, not too far off of what he's already performing. If we think he can be even a bit better next year, even if it's similar um, core skills, the, the plate skills, the OBP and all that, but the volume's going up because he's batting at the top of the order all year, then I do think 68th pick is not too bad at all for CJ Abrams. Uh, let's talk Corbin Burns. I briefly mentioned him when we were talking about the starters. He goes in the third round. Remember all the hand-wringing early on about him? It was really two starts. That That's the funniest thing. I was looking back at this the other day. It's like, man, remember when we were like really, really worried about Burns? Push come to shove, it was two bad outings. It was 10 earned in his first nine and a third. And it's like, uh-oh. And listen, he hasn't essentially been like a god from that point forward. But in the 25 starts since for Burns, it's a 318 ERA, which you have zero, zero complaints about. Like there's no way that you can really uh, complain too much about that with a 105 whip and 161 Ks in 155 and two thirds for Burns. Justin, is the third round a bargain for Corbin Burns? I think it is. I mean, I, I mean, I think he deserves to be in that conversation for the third overall pitcher with Gallen and uh, and Luis Castillo next year, and maybe even like a Kevin Gosman or uh, or someone like that. Um, which means to me, like this guy should be going towards the bat or the top end of the of the second round. Um, so I I was a little surprised that he went in the third round. Um, I. I, you know, maybe there's going to be some conversations. Well, no, I guess he's not a free. No, he's still still RB eligible yeah. one more season. So I take Burns um, over Gosman, to be honest. I would too. And I, I think the question really becomes you would you rather have Burns or Gallon next year or Burns and Castillo? Um, I think I lean Castillo and then I. Yeah. And then Burns I, for me, I think. <sighs> It's really tough. I love Gallon. Gallon is my NL. Uh, he's great. Player. He's he's been a little rougher as of late. So he maybe angered I some folks to, this past week. Yes, yeah, so maybe, <laughs> it was a maybe, tough two step. Yeah, maybe I tend to lean Burns just because I got burnt this week pretty hard by him. So, uh, but I mean that being said, Gallon's been amazing over yeah. the course of the season. And Dodgers but, Orioles. You, you you have a hard time writing up a, a tougher two-step there. Yeah. He gave up 11 earned in 10 and two-thirds this week for Gallon, um, which stings down the stretch from your ace, but he's still been wonderful for folks all year. So, yeah, I mean, with Burns, with the, with the Milwaukee trio in general, I think they all present some interesting value. Uh, yeah. Woodruff and Peralta going in the fourth there. I'm always a big B. Woody guy. I know he had the injuries, or the injury this year that kept him out for a bit, and Peralta doing pretty well. But, uh, Ray, with Burns in the third round, do you feel that's a good price, like uh, Justin and I? And how do you feel about his two counter, or his two teammates there, Woodruff and Peralta? Are you in on the Minnesota, the Milwaukee trio? I'll pump the brakes on Burns relative to the two of you guys. I mean, he's still okay. off a mile per hour from last year, and that's another mile and a half total from 2021. The swing strike rates down on the year, the walk rates up. You know, over overall, and yeah, he's pitched to, you know, the results since those first two stars have been pretty much in line, but our, you know, you can pick, pull your own ERA estimator, but our expected ERA is a full run higher than last year. It's at 385 now. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not out on him. I think he belongs in that round three, four, five pile, but I think there's good reason why he's not the clear SP3 right now. Um, of the three Brewer guys, I think I probably like Woodruff the most for next year at this early stage. I love 
Peralta, but I think we just have to establish that, um, you know, he is not consistent enough. Uh, he's not the workhorse that the other two are. Uh, you know, he can look great for, you know, 130 innings at a time and then give you 50 clunkers to go with it. Um, so I, I, I would probably go Wood, Woodruff, then Burns, then Peralta uh, in terms of my rankings for next year. But, you know, it's early. We haven't written the forecast yet. Right, Paul? Exactly. Exactly. And I can't wait to get it going. I uh, can't wait to see what picture pages I get this year. I, I love writing all of it. The hitter's actually the bigger challenge for me because I am so in on pitchers that those, you know, deep diving hitters. Yeah, the, the baseball HQ uh, forecaster writing process is one of my favorite things every year working with Brent. And, uh, and, and you know, fitting all that information into those capsules is very difficult and a lot of fun to go through. Going to be eager to see how all three uh, Milwaukee starters are written up. Love all three of them. And we eager to see what they can do in the playoffs, too, because I think they're kind of a sleeping giant. Um, when you have three aces and an ace reliever uh, in, in Devin Williams and some big-time hitters, you know, their lineup is not awesome. But in a playoff situation, take a couple guys, you know, a random Mark Canha gets going type of deal. I, I could see the Brewers making some noise there. But we're not here to talk playoffs. We're talking seven-round draft from the Pole Hitter Podcast. Great work here by these 15 folks. 10 closers in the first four rounds, 15 in the seven altogether. Justin, we talked about it all year. Saves have not really been available. The best guy has definitely been Albert Alzali as far as waiver pickup, and he went in these seven rounds. So he's already been anointed into the top 15, Uh, but there just hasn't been that much. That doesn't mean there hasn't been turnover. It's just that when there's been turnover, it's been spread out to three guys. If there was a one guy who went down, they said, you, you, and you can now get saves. We just haven't seen as many baton passes to a solo guy. In fact, it took a lot of time for the baton to even get passed to Alzali. Think of all the Fulmer bids that we had. Um, I can't remember the other jokers that we were betting on in Chicago, but there's multiple other guys there before Alzali, and now here he is looking like an absolute beast. But what was your take generally on the closers uh, in this seven-round draft, Justin? You're going to need to get them early. You're, you're going to need to pay for saves. Like, even earlier, because it, it yeah. was early last year, too. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're going to. And even with Felix Batista, who's the first closer off the board, probably yeah. not going to be there like – Cano is just going to take his spot maybe a round or two later. So He would be in the seven rounds if we did this again. Yeah. Cano would take his spot. Yeah, not, not the direct spot that he took, which was second round for Bautista, but he would be in the seven. My, my guess, yeah, he'd be probably after Alzale. Um, yep, that's, where, that's um, where I would be, you know, just so, eyeballing it. Yeah. So, like, if you want saves, and, like, they're gonna, there's always going to be the people that are like, don't pay for saves, That you know, the old Matthew Berry trope. Um, if, they, if they want to play that game, I think you, even Matthew would say it's a different landscape than when mm-hmm. he was saying don't pay for saves. And those are ten team leagues, right? In ten team also league, true. Ten team leagues, you can you know afford to wait a little bit longer because you know you'll pick up guys off of the waiver wire uh, that are valuable, like the Carlos Estevez's of the world uh, this year. So, but I think in the majority of kind of twelve and fifteen team leagues, like you need to pay for saves. Like you are just gonna be left behind. And if you paid for saves this year, you were doing fantastic if you ended up with a Felix Bautista or a David Bednar. Um which not everybody though. If you paid for Helsley, you know there there were some misses yeah. there too. We have we have to acknowledge there's always going to be some misses. But generally speaking, if you paid for saves, especially if you bought two, it's very hard. I can't even think of were there two busts that you could have combined? Like who who could you have paired with Helsley? That would have been yeah. like 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, Diaz. you could have gotten unlucky there. If you went Diaz Helsley, you were thinking, yeah. I've got 80 saves and like 200 strikeouts. And then poof. So it can still happen, right? It's not foolproof, but, but that's, we do. It, is that different than the starting pitcher market? I mean, it's no, the same, absolutely it's the same not. risk, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. If you look at the rest of this board, other than the grenades, you know, other than other than Diaz and Helsley, the guys, the guys who were on the seven round board are the guys who were on the seven round board last year in Louisville. Bingo. It's class, yep. class A, it's Hader, it's it's Romano, it's you know, and then a couple of guys emerging who have that kind of stuff. Kenley for sure. Kenley's still yeah, sticking and, around. Duvall's both still here. He was a rival, you know. Who yep. Didn't, who had who started slow and eventually got back to you know being his old self. I mean, I think the the track record of these guys, you know, we we talk about closers being you know, burn bright and burn out early, but these guys are on this part of the board for a reason because they mm-hmm. provide that. Absolutely. And again, I'm going to continue to pay for saves. It's a market I don't like to play in during the season. In fact, one thing I've actually said as far as, um, you know, my with my work of, of being in the fantasy uh, industry, I've been a little light on the closer market in terms of knowing who's around because I have not been in it. Like so, even though the, it's been light this year, I do know that with Hater and Evan Phillips, and even Evan Phillips hasn't been just a lock solid perfect number two, but it's been enough to where I haven't even had to worry. So I don't mm-hmm. even always know what's going on in the closer market uh, every week anyway. But because I've just been locked and loaded with those two, and Phillips didn't even go here. By the way, I I, I think next year is the year for Bruce Dargraderall. I'm, I'm I'm calling that now. They've been grooming him for a few years in, into that role. I think they finally give him the full-blown role next year. And Bruce Dargraderall has a big uh, breakout closer year. That's my little call here. Uh, Ray, let's start with you on this one. No catchers until the fifth round. And then Francisco Alvarez was the first, uh, or excuse me, was the fourth. He went in the sixth round there after Real Muto, Smith, and Rutschman. Those were the top three. And then Alvarez, four. Let me start with the Alvarez point first. Would he go there if we did this again today? Because he's another guy that, despite it only being nine, ten games since this draft was posted, he's in a real he's in a real uh, downturn right now. Do you think that another ten games of of poor quality from Alvarez would push him out of the seven rounds, or do you think people are still pretty interested in him? In nine games, is not going to move that needle. I mean, it's not nine games, right? He hasn't homered in a month. That, um, that's true. That's true. It's just in a nine more. Nine yeah, more so since, he right, was in nine. that skid during the draft. So maybe nine right. more wouldn't affect it because they liked him enough to take him there anyway. But how do you feel seeing a, a, a homerless month from Alvarez? Would you take him in a top seven round situation? I mean, on the one hand, he's probably just worn out. And I think he probably, yeah. I'd be willing to give him a little bit of a mulligan for that. On the other hand, even in the first half, he hit two fourteen. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a tax there. I, I, I can't draft, uh, you know. Why not just draft Shane Langliers? Yeah, if, I, I can't draft like Alvarez that batting average in, you know, in the top 10 rounds. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm with you there. My other, my other point about catchers in general, uh, you know, jumping back to the three, uh, the round before him. Is, yeah, the I'm big dogs, Real Muto. Sorry, Real Muto, Smith, and Rutschman were the three in the fifth round. Go ahead. Yeah, for, for those three guys, and, you know, it's also a distinction from Alvarez, I think, although we'll learn about it going forward. If I'm going to pay for a catcher this early, it's got to be one who gets the DH at bats, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't just call. play five days a w- five days a week, and that actually does kind of disqualify Smith. We'll see what the Dodgers do with their roster next year, mm-hmm. you know, whether JD Martinez is back or if they bring in somebody else in that role at DH and lengthen their lineup. But 
that to me puts Real Muto and Rutschman as the clear one two on my catcher board. You know, um, could Alvarez get used that way? Probably. I would actually argue he probably should be used that way. He should almost have um, more DH than catching, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. He, he's, he's the old Carlos Delgado, the one that yep. you want to be. You want him to catch twice a week just to stay eligible, but spend most of his time DHing. Uh, whether the Mets figure that out is an open question. Uh, but, but but my catcher board, like I said, would be real Muto and Rutschman one two, and we'll figure it out after that. Yeah, I, I would flip them, but I agree, Rutschman real Muto for me. I'm very big on Rutschman, and you pointed out something really strong there with regards to the supplemental DH plate appearances, um, which hurt Smith this year, which people kind of were in on. They're saying, okay, they got JD now, the moves they've made, he might lose some of those. And then Sean Murphy had a bunch of those with Oakland, and we knew that he probably wasn't going to get those this year, and that's proven to be true as well. Justin, with the catchers going here, um, and again, Murphy did go too. So the, the, it was those five, Real Muto, Smith, Rutschman, Alvarez, Murphy. Those were the only five catchers to go. Do you have a, a, a distinction there with Smith being out of the top three for that same reason that Ray said? And then uh, how do you feel about the Alvarez situation? And, and would you take him anywhere near the top seven rounds? Yeah, I think Ray nailed it. I, I want guys who are going to get those extra plate appearances uh, if I'm going to take uh, them highly. But we, I mean, we've also had this just really interesting catching crop this year of, of guys who've kind of literally came Reason out of up. nowhere. Like, yeah. I didn't know who Yarnir Diaz was coming into this, you know, coming into like the, mm-hmm. the preseason. And, and he's been a really, really uh, nice catcher. Uh, but yeah, if, if I'm going to take a catcher early, uh, I want to, I wanted to be a guy who's going to get those DH appearances. I was just a little surprised to see Real Muto, who was a second, third round pick go as late as he uh, did in this. I feel like uh, he might even be a little bit undervalued uh, considering uh, what he's you know kind of done in the past uh, as well as uh, what he's done this year. Uh, Rutschman, I agree. I think he's my number two guy. Uh, and uh, I probably am going to be on Will Smith because like I said all along, I think the Dodgers end up with Otani. And then uh, there goes your DH. Yeah, there goes all of your DH spots if Otani's uh, hitting there. So yeah, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense too. By the way, I'm I. I, I, It's kind of the obvious answer that people have been saying that the Dodgers are going to get Otani. Just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's wrong. I tend to think that that's going to be happening as well. Uh, So yeah, we're in lockstep there on the catchers. And again, like I wasn't kidding that much when I said why not just take Shea Langoliers instead of Francisco Alvarez, given the price difference. Do I think Alvarez is better than Langlers? Yes, but 206 and 16 homers versus 211 and 21 homers. Give me Cal Raleigh. Like, I mean... Well, Cal Raleigh for sure, but I'm talking like Langlers is 10 rounds Mm -hmm. after Raleigh even. Like, we're talking... Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just don't know that Alvarez is going to hit for that much more average than Bangliers. And And runs ribbies is going to be different too, so I'm not saying they're a one-to-one. I just... Go ahead, Ray. And uh, you know, you got to love the fact that you know you, we've met, you know, in addition to the five on this board, we've mentioned you know three other guys, and we have not yet mentioned Sal Perez, who used yeah. to be C1, yeah. right? You know, he's got he's got to fit into this conversation at some point too. So I'm just glad we have options at the position, right? Remember the days not too long ago, not too long ago when you know if you you, you would see one catcher go in the first ten rounds. This is not that draft this- board anymore. There's 25 catchers worth drafting next year, which is not something we're used to. 
Yeah, we, we haven't even talked about both Contreras's, the Contreras. Mm -hmm. yeah, you mentioned totally. Sal Perez. Yiner Diaz is going to stay catcher eligible and hopefully DH a bunch next year still for them or play first. Um, was Abreu? No, Abreu was a multi-year deal. God, that sucked. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm still going to be hyping up Tyler Stevenson next year, so get used yep. to that, folks. I'm never going anywhere on him. Um, pour some out for Dalton Varsho. He's no longer going to be catcher eligible. But Neither yeah. will MJ Melendez. That's right. So we lose those two guys to the outfield, but the guys that we gained, I think it, it was a fair trade-off. Jonah Heim really ascended up the board this year. Um, I mentioned Langoliers. I'm still in on Gabriel Moreno, Alejandro mm -hmm. Kirk, his former teammate. So yeah, Kyber Ruiz, lots of ways to go at catcher. Let's talk Walker Bueller. He's in the seventh round here, taking the speculation on him. You want to talk about somebody who could be that dynamic three-inning type guy in the playoffs? That's Walker Bueller. Like I think that they're going to really look at mm -hmm. him as somebody like that. And we were talking about this yesterday on the Rotowire, um, Scott and Jeff, and I was in the chat there, and how their bullpen could go from kind of wobbly right now as as it stands to in the playoffs when they're going to put Pepio, Sheehan, and Bueller in the bullpen. That could be a disgusting bullpen. But anyway, with Bueller going in the seventh round, did that take you by surprise, Justin? Um, Yes, just because uh, at this point, he had not pitched, right? Like yeah. now he's had a rehab assignment. And he's on rehab. He reported looked really, really good in his first uh, first action. Would he go higher in a redraft I right now? Do you might. think? Yeah, uh, he's going to go higher than I'm going to be willing to draft him. I think is what I'm going to. What What is your high right now? Let's say Let's say he does fill that role. I think he is seven the is too high for me. Like you're okay, talking. So you're like, already out if he's yeah. if he's around this level. I just I never draft these guys coming off of Tommy John. Yeah. There's just so much that can go wrong with the command and control, which is typically the last thing to come back. Uh on but what about guys. are you not heartened that like some of that is gonna be worked out this year? I I mean I am heartened a little bit. I still am not gonna be heartened enough to draft him as high as he's gonna go. Um, okay. That that's fair because I'm with you. You know, I was talking about not drafting TJ returners either. Yeah. Um I do want to see where he's at. You know, Bueller working through the playoffs, working down the stretch here. Probably not going to get all of it out, but maybe with spring and an offseason to work. I don't know. He's a, he's an interesting case because he is gonna have the little time of return here, assuming he stays healthy here's, and everything goes well thing. for if he, and then an offseason. If he's really good in these short stretches, right, on prime time in the playoffs, as we know the Dodgers are going to go, like, his, the price, he's going to be a third, fourth round pick next year. And like He's we, already one of the biggest whoa, 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 whoa. playoff <laughs> tax guys of recent years. I, yeah. I, I think Justin's right, though. I'm not saying it, it's, it, it, that it is right. I think Justin is right, though, that if yeah. we do see Bueller go crazy, it, the playoff tax will hit him yet again. And he's been a playoff tax victim before uh, because he's been excellent as a playoff pitcher, Walker Buehler has. Yeah. Ray, what'd you think of seeing Buehler in the seventh there? Like Justin points out, he had not pitched yet when this draft went. I mean, even if everything goes well for him in the next two months, and I certainly hope it does, mm -hmm. he's got to be in, he's got to be innings limited next year. You, you would think. Because if nothing else, even if he goes through without setbacks without you know dead arm in june whatever else happens the dodgers are going to be protecting him for next october and they'll be trying to bleed his whatever his innings limit is 150 160 whatever they're gonna be wanting to save 30 of those for next october he's going to be limited during the regular season kershaw's not on this board give me kershaw before bueller all that Especially at the round cross. Yeah, absolutely. Like, because Kershaw just keeps getting it done. And I don't really have any reason to believe that he won't continue to do so. And when you bake in the innings lost, because yeah, they're that's both going to have innings at. lost, but I'm not worried about Kershaw's command and control. 
Exactly. No, that's a great call out. And I totally agree that I would rather Kershaw at the discount, even if it's two rounds, like even if he went in the next round or, or two rounds later, fine. Uh, closing out here, any any final takeaways from this seven round draft? We'll have a picture posted in the uh, in, in the show notes too, so people can follow along with this. I should probably should have mentioned that at the outset, but they'll see the link in there. Um, Justin, start with you. Any any takeaways here? You know, Adelise Garcia in the third, Michael Harris all the way back up to the third. Anything jump out to you as a takeaway? You are going to pay a stiff price for young pitching. You were mm-hmm. you were going for the Bobby Millers and the Yuri Perez, Grayson and, Rodriguez, and Grayson Rodriguez, like. You were going. You were going to pay a top hundred price, um, and some of them are going to definitely be worth it. Some of them definitely not. Uh, so, can you tell but, me which are which, please? I mean, I think Yuri's going to be worth it. I think Bobby Miller is going to be worth it. <laughs> no, I meant, I meant with certainty though, because yeah. I, I agree with you. I like both those guys too, but I wish we knew exactly because I think Grayson is too, and those are the three that went mm-hmm. in this draft. And like, it is a steep price. I love all three, but what's the likelihood that all three actually do pan out? Probably not. No, probably I mean, not going to happen that all three are perfect seventh, it, uh, if, seven round guys. I, you know, I hate to bump up their price any further than they're already going to be bumped up. But if you want these, if you want one of those guys, you're going to have to just jump on them. Like you're going to just have to go get your guy uh, earlier than other people. And, and there are going to be enough people who do this in these early drafts that all of a sudden you're going to start seeing these guys in the fifth, sixth round. Um, and that is scary as hell. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally understand that. Um, you, you, you're gonna, you gotta pay for your guys, especially in the NFC landscape. Everyone knows their home league, you know, better, so they might not have that same issue. But if you get in this NFC landscape next year, get your guys, pay yep. for them uh, if you want them, because you're putting up the money. Get the guys that you are betting on. Ray, what, what were any final takeaways from this draft? Mike Trout in round six just hurts my heart. I know. <laughs> but, you know, back to Justin's earlier point, if, you know, Otani goes up the free up the freeway to the Dodgers and frees up the DH and Trout that's a good point. lineup that way, maybe that's uh, that could be a bargain. That's actually a good point there. With Trout getting some DH, Otani leaving is an avenue to maybe save some Trout health. Uh, no way he plays center next year, right? Or I shouldn't say no way. Do we think he plays center next year, Trout? Justin, I don't think he plays on the Angels next year. That's in play too. Whoa, that's a take, I, Ray. I don't think you can top that take. But what do you think? Do you think Trout plays a lot of center next year? I don't think he plays a lot of center. Um, I think he's a corner outfield DH. They have to keep him in the lineup. And yeah, I'm with Justin. I think that you know, the, the five minutes after Otani leaves, the what is Trout still Dismantle. doing? Conversation has to has to get started in earnest. You got yeah, you got to get value and just yeah and just. I mean, can you? you know, no, you just unload the salary. Yeah. yeah. And you know who can afford them? Baltimore. That would be so oh. sick. Because they could give like one, you can give one decent player, right? Yeah, you, you give throw something. Jordan Westgate just to, you know, placate yeah. them, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, th- you throw a Westberg, you throw a Mayo, you throw some like one piece, which won't hurt their system at all. That would be interesting. Right. They use that as like a free agent signing and they bring in Trout. I don't know. Yeah, that could, there could be some crazy machinations there if they decide. Because, yeah, I think they're almost certainly losing Otani. I mean, I could say certainly, but we'll just say almost will, certainly to protect I will, it. I will say he has a full no trade clause. So he he's in charge. Yeah, right. But where would he accept it? He might accept it to Baltimore. I could yeah. see him accepting Baltimore because that's not too far from, from Philadelphia. Yep, that's, 
not too far yeah. to get up to Philly where he loves to be and and go to his games. He'll get more uh, unique weather out there. We know he's a big weather head. So we could see Trout on the move. That would be really interesting. That would really shake up the offseason if Otani and Trout are both gone from the Angels by then. But this seven-round draft was awesome. We'll be drafting together in a few months here. Let's talk a little bit about first pitch Arizona. Ray, can you give us a rundown of what people can expect? We talk about it all the time, you know, uh, we're not it's not even like a paid advertisement when we do it we just are obsessed with first pitch so we're always gassing it up but from somebody who helps put on this event with brent hershey can you give us a little rundown of what to expect with first pitch arizona yeah i, I think over the years the best way we've come up with to describe it it is just an immersive weekend experience of just 24 7 fantasy baseball you know for yep. as a thumbnail sketch you know this year we're actually starting early we're going to start on thursday afternoon and have a couple of like pre-conference sessions but basically we bounce back and forth from doing conference sessions in the hotel over mostly across the street to go to ball games go to home run derby go to the fall stars game we wake up in the morning we do do a few hours in the hotel we head out to the ballparks, we come back, we record podcasts, we have more breakout sessions, we play a little poker or whatever else is going on in the hotel. We we exchange some craft beers. You know, there's all sorts of uh, fun stuff going on indoors and outdoors. But it's, you know, if you're on the ground for, I don't know, a little more than 72 hours in most cases, you know, you'll probably sleep for six, eight, ten of those. Um, but, but other than that, it's, you know, fantasy baseball all the time. And, you know, it's sort of become this two-part event where we have the sort of paid regular attendees who are coming to get insights from all of us, but it's also become this industry networking event and the two overlay so well that you can end up sitting next to any of the three of us or any of the other, you know, 40 or 50 speakers at a ballpark to shoot the breeze with pulling your fantasy roster out of your pocket and ask, asking somebody to look at it. Um, everybody is, I, I don't know, I, I can only give credit to Ron Chandler and Rick Wilton for establishing the ethos of this event, but everyone is so approachable and everybody's putting forth their best work. And even though they're all websites that theoretically compete with each other and we compete with each other in all leagues, in our leagues, et cetera, everyone just, you know, puts their best insights on the table and brings their best research and best analysis to the event for everyone to consume. And you can't possibly fly home on Sunday afternoon, not being a better and more knowledgeable player than you were when you arrived on Thursday. It's unbelievable. And like the one thing I would constantly uh, underscores, please don't not want to come because you don't know anybody that yeah. will be fixed yeah, immediately. Totally. You will be invited into any group you want to go up to and talk to, whether it's with industry people that you might feel intimidated by, please don't. I'm, you know, we're just random dweebs that love baseball the way you do. Uh, or if it's, if it's, you know, other people that are there, uh, as, as, you know, players, as opposed to industry folks, You'll find an in-group that you want to get with, and but there, there's no like clicks either. It's not like, oh, you can't yeah. be here, you can't be there. You can be anywhere you want. We've had so many people come over the years that didn't really know anybody. They came maybe with one friend or nobody, and they just were like, ah, I think I'll go. And they end up loving it. And then they're back multiple years. They've made friends. They've expanded their fantasy friend group. So, I mean, I just can't say enough about it. It is my the greatest event I go to every year. We gas it up for a reason. It's amazing. Justin, you want to give some thoughts on on first pitch Arizona as we uh, as we gush about the greatness of it? I mean, I, I think you nailed it when you said it's the best event of the year. 
Uh, it is the I I literally moved a family vacation to Disneyland to a different date so I could go this year uh, because your wife comes too so it is like a yeah. family you know but both y'all enjoy it she and you know obviously she plays more these days but like her first time there she wasn't even playing fantasy. she came to hang out and and she's and, not anticipating playing at all any fantasy baseball at all next year yet she's and, coming and still and not gonna prob- miss it yeah and she's coming and she's gonna go to the con- you know the actual conferences mm-hmm. uh, and panels as well so mostly and probably to, yeah probably to just harass me for the most part but which is what she should know, be doing yes yeah, exactly job. So, but yeah. yeah it is i think it is the best event to go to if you play fantasy baseball and I, I i am always shocked that there isn't more and more people um every year and i, I think you know covid probably no, there, there is more and more you're saying they should be even because the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the numbers do yeah. seem to go up every year obviously covid took a hit yeah, on I things think COVID took a hit, under like undercut there, everything there like a, three times as many people as there are because it is like i i love the panels and i'm on the panels right so like i'm not you know and i love the games but like for me, like I've learned so much just sitting around, you know, talking to people and just soaking up knowledge from some of the best players and analysts in the world. Um, mm-hmm. With those informal conversations with guys like Vlad Sedler and Rob Silver um, and Matt Modica and Paul and Jason and Ray and Brent and Ryan Bloomfield, like like those informal conversations, like are just so enriching and like you can't put a price tag on them and so like, like you, I, should, I've mentioned, you need to be there like you should be there i've mentioned this before but you know tim mcleod our resident uh, asian baseball correspondent mm-hmm. has put me on guys well before yeah. they became a thing i knew kenta maeda i knew who he was because he took him in like the 12th round of a draft i said who is that first off he's canadian so he's instantly nice uh, this was during the break of our draft i was like who's this guy? I've seen the name once and he gave me a full rundown on him. Take all those mental notes. We know what Kent Maeda has become. This is before he came over. Um, and it's not just Maeda, by the way, he's, he's in on all the guys. He knows all the ones he knows the guys that might flop too. He gives you all the great hits there. So it's like, everything is there. If you love baseball, everything is there. The time spent talking to Kylie McDaniel or Eric mm-hmm. Loggenhagen about prospects, the stuff I learned there. Nick Pollock sitting there learning on how to watch pitchers better, right? Like I, I love watching pitching and I, I care about it. Like he pitched in college. Nick's on another level. Like he sees things differently than than a lot of us will. And so it's just a great event. Baseballhq.com slash seminar, I think. No, slash first dash pitch dash Arizona. We'll have a link. Of course, you can get there. All the info. When's the next um, uh, price price change to sign up, Ray? Yeah, so you can actually just go to baseballhq.com. There's a giant first pitch Arizona logo on Perfect. the right side of the home. And, and again, we'll have a you link directly for it. Yep, the dates are November second to fifth, uh, so you can clear out Halloween at home before you uh, before you head over. You know, we'll have, everyone brings their can bring their candy, and we'll exchange that stuff too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the next price deadline is this Friday, uh, September eighth. Uh, it's currently four twenty nine for the weekend, and that's going to jump on Saturday to. Uh, the full and final price, which is five fifty nine, so you can save one hundred and thirty bucks or so by registering by Friday. Uh, the hotel room block is still open and available for another couple of weeks, so you can, after you book the conference, you can go book your hotel room. You can go book, go track down your flights, etc. Uh, you're not late. There's plenty of room to do that uh, still. So jump on in, like you said, Paul. Uh, you know, 
it grows bigger and bigger every year, but we, we, we want to completely blow the roof off the thing. So uh, come join us and we can just about guarantee a good time, right? Yeah, I, I, re I really think we can. I don't, it'd be hard to have a bad time. You're coming in as a baseball fan, as a fantasy player, going to be really hard for you not to get your money's worth, learn a lot of stuff, make new friends, and just have a wonderful time. It's November 2nd through the 5th, 2023 in arizona um i think we're going to be in mesa uh if you want to stay at the at the main hotel you can stay anywhere you want get to everything you know if, if you don't want to stay at the main hotel but stay at the moment if you have any questions stay, stay yeah, stay, the, yeah if stay. you can please do because it, yeah. it's way better to just be there and then that's where you have those late nights where we're sitting up if you like to drink and hang out that's always going on uh people bringing all sorts of cool drinks too you know like Eno's known for bringing crazy all sorts of different beers all sorts of different alcohol so if that's something that you're big time into you're gonna have a lot of fun with that and of course once people kind of get the lubrication going that's when the the friendliness is even at a higher level there too so it's just great and if you have any questions you can reach out to ray on twitter you can reach out to is it ray Absolutely. hq at, Ray, is, HQ. at Ray HQ. Yep. You can reach out to Ray. You can reach out to us too. We'll answer any questions about it. We love the event. It's wonderful. Ray, thank you so much for being on with us, especially on a holiday here on Labor Day. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on, guys. And uh, looking forward to seeing you both in person in uh, eight weeks or so. Sounds wonderful. Justin, I'll talk to you later this week. Take it easy.